Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. We'll be reading from the New King James Version. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Please be seated. Good morning. This passage that you've just heard read, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the first 10 verses, illuminates a part of the, the reality of the last great day that is just so essential for us to understand. It is this. He didn't tell us when he's coming. He just told us he was. Now, now that that may seem just an oversight on on his part, but that's not the case. It was very deliberate. This passage says it's going to be like a thief in the night. You don't know when that's going to be. It's like a a woman who's going to have a baby. And, of course, she knows she's going to have a baby, but she doesn't know when when that baby might decide to come and that labor begins. And he says, like that. And that's how the end's going to be. Now, why would, why would the Lord do it like that? The answer is because he didn't want us to have it on the calendar and, and make rapid preparation at the end. You, you, you do that sometimes. If you have a dentist appointment, do you hurry up and brush your teeth a lot the last couple of days before you go? As if that's going to really, you know, help things. I think that's the threat. That's the problem. And so what he says is, I'm not going to tell you. You don't know when he's going to return. You just know my son's coming back. He's going to return. And when he does, he's going to sit on the, on the judgment seat and, and we will all be judged. And in this passage, the emphasis then is placed on being sober. Now, that's going to play a big part in this sermon as we get toward the end of it. So I'm going to come back to the passage. Uh, just, just put that on the back burner for a minute and we'll return to it. Now, new subject. Are you aware of the fact that marijuana use and the legalization of marijuana is sweeping the country? I don't know. Maybe you've picked up on this, seen an article somewhere, but it's a very interesting thing that's happening. In 2012, the first state in the union to legalize the recreational use where you can just go into a store and you can buy a little pot and you can just use it recreationally, Vermont. That was 2012. Fast forward a decade, and now in America, 18 states, mostly 
on the ocean sides, uh, but 18 states have legalized recreational use. There's something about being close to the ocean that makes people nutty, and that's what's happened. However, it's not just that. Other states have made it legal for medical purposes, with which we would not disagree. We wouldn't oppose marijuana use for medical purposes, probably. I don't see a problem with that. But it does show a progression. So right now, 38 states have it legalized in some way, and 18 for recreational use. So help me with this. And Alabama's one, by the way, that is medical use only. But I assume that what's going to happen is that by and by, the whole country will yield to this marijuana thing and people will be able to buy it and use it recreationally and you could just drop by the cannabis store and pick some up, as it is in 18 states. What, what do you think the preaching should be about that? Because I can assure you that, that we're going to talk about it. I'm going to preach about it. And I can assure you that should that become a thing in Alabama, a thing in Huntsville, Alabama, that, that sometimes, you know, the Christians may be interested in starting some of that, and we're going to be talking about it. The elders are going to talk about it. And what would you think the pulpit ought to say about that? I, I think that what you're going to hear are points like these, that marijuana has the quality of making you high. And, and when, you, when you do that, then you lose what is talked about in 1 Thessalonians 5 here about being sober. That's, that's the contrary to what the, the apostle is saying about being sober. No, it's just, not just that, though. Of course, it has an addictive nature to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12 says, all things are lawful to me. That is to say, in creation, everything that God made has a legitimate usage. All things are lawful to me, but all things, he says, are not expedient. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And weed... Marijuana has a profound addictive quality to it. With, with that, we're all familiar. What would you expect the elders to do about this? I mean, suppose some of our, our wonderful teenagers, and they wouldn't do this, but suppose they did. Suppose you had a few of them, they're kind of trying this out. What would you expect our elders to talk about? I, I think it would be, clearly, it would be just a blanket statement to say, we're the shepherds of the congregation, and we came to say, We believe this is counterproductive to your Christian walk. We're asking you not to do this. This is a behavior which is inconsistent with your Christianity. That's about what you would expect, and that's what's going to happen. If if this continues to progress, that's what's going to happen. What would it look like? Now, I want you to get this statistic. 95,000 people a year die as a result of marijuana use. 10,000 are automobile accidents, and of those, 1,000 of them involve children. Now that, see, it's, it's things like that. You look at that and you'd say, wow, we can't support that. And that's why if this happens in Alabama, recreational use is legalized. Our elders are going to talk about that. Now, up until now, I don't know if you're going to like what I'm about to say, but up until now, everything that I've said has been true. All the statistics about the country and about marijuana use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All that's true except for this one. And this one's not true. And I, I came, I didn't come today to talk about marijuana. And maybe already you've picked up on, that's kind of um, distant, Glenn. Isn't that kind of strange that you, we're, we're not legalizing it yet and all that. And I would, I would say, well, it's good to immunize, immunize people about 
things that are going to come, and this is one of them. But I really didn't come to talk about marijuana today, and this is not an accurate slide. There's an, an essential point that's not right. Next slide. It is this. This sermon is not about marijuana. It's about alcohol. And that statistic is not true about marijuana, but it is true about alcohol. The numbers for marijuana are considerably less than this. It is a, it's a lesser problem than alcohol. Alcohol is the big one. had a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine who is a, sheriff, a sheriff's deputy in Florida, Christian. And he's working the, the area where, where one of the beaches is and spring breakers are there. And I don't know if you've done any reading lately about that, but he says, Glenn, now not all the kids are like that, but a lot of them are like that. And so we have, you know, we're just dealing with problems all the time in law enforcement with what's going on, and we'll be glad when it's over with. I can understand that. And so I, I just had to ask him the question. So which is worse, alcohol or marijuana? He didn't hesitate. He said, oh, alcohol is the worst one. Between the two, alcohol is always the worst. Why? He said, well, they bear, they bear similarities, of course. Both are so highly addictive. Both influence behavior in a very, a very profound way. Both of them are progressive drugs. That is, people often do not stay where they are when they start with these drugs, alcohol or marijuana. He says, now, one difference is that, that there's violence, more violence with alcohol than with, with marijuana. If you're stoned, you're not so, he said, not so eager for violence. But, but he said, there's no question. The one that's the worst is is alcohol. Now, that's interesting to me because I don't think we think like that. I think typically what we would think is that, I mean, just in general, that alcohol and if, I mean, if you drink it moderately, alcohol is not like marijuana. Marijuana, now that would be bad. Now that would be serious. And of course, Christians do not use recreational marijuana. They don't. Look at this next slide. So there are studies, and, and this is interesting to me because uh, th- this bears what, out what I just said, is that people in general in America would not approve of the, the, the respected people, the leaders in the culture, to use marijuana. People admitted to having less respect for everyone from religious leaders, doctors, firefighters, police officers, parents, using marijuana compared to those who drank alcohol. Alcohol is okay, these things are not. Even though it's not entirely unheard of, people were more than twice as likely to lose respect for a president who smoked marijuana in his or her free time as opposed to drinking alcohol. The problem with that is, it doesn't make any sense. The problem is that that the drug, if you have to line them up, the drug that's more dangerous is not the marijuana, and this is not a sermon advocating marijuana. It's to say that the one that's worse is alcohol. That's the worst. Next slide. Now, follow me on this. It is true that the Bible teaches that you can't go to heaven drunk. The problem is that that we see that, and it's almost like there must be a verse of Scripture in the Bible that says, if you don't get drunk, it's all right to drink. I'm just saying that's not true. As a matter of fact, that's not true. True. Now, here are verses that do say that you cannot be drunkard or an alcoholic. Galatians 5, 19, works of the flesh and you have a long list of sins. And drunkenness is one and you can't go to heaven like that. The same in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. Don't be deceived. Neither drunkards will inherit the kingdom of God. So that's true. But now, let's go to the next slide. But, but, here's the thing I want you to see. Here's the CDC. What about, what about moderate drinking? 
What about moderate drinking? Alcohol consumption is associated with a variety of short and long-term health risks, including motor vehicle crashes, violence, sexual risk behaviors, high blood pressure, and various cancers. None of that surprises you. The risk of these harms increases with the amount of alcohol you drink. For some conditions, like some cancers, the risk increases even at at very low levels of alcohol consumption, less than one drink. Next one. To reduce the risk of alcohol-related harms, the CDC recommends that adults of legal drinking age can choose not to drink or to drink in moderation by limiting intake to two drinks or less in a day for men, one drink or less in a day for women on days when alcohol is consumed. The guidelines also do not recommend that individuals who do not drink alcohol start drinking for any reason. And that if adults of legal drinking age choose to drink alcoholic beverages, drinking less is better for health than drinking more. The the CDC would not agree with the notion that says, so long as you don't get drunk, it's all right to drink. They're saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not true. Next slide. But what what about Scripture? American Addiction Centers, while driving under the influence of marijuana, while it presents serious dangers, driving under the influence of alcohol is statistically far more deadly. Got that? Let's do one more thing before I give you my main points. Bear in mind that the Bible does not have to explicitly condemn a particular practice for that practice to be wrong. I would have you to remember that the Bible doesn't say a word about cocaine The word meth is not in the Bible. You think about some of the sexual practices that are common today. The Bible doesn't explicitly speak of those, but there's no question in your mind that they're they're wrong. Now go back to Galatians 5 and verse 19, and I want you to I want to demonstrate this point that in this list of sins, the concluding one is and such like or and the like. Now just just bear that in mind that, that what you have here is rather ambiguous. And he's relying on your ability to to figure this out, that there are some things that are akin to these things, that are like these things. And and he would add that to the list is you can't go to heaven with that. Now, Now, the point of that is that it carries the same kind of weight as these other things which are explicitly stated. He's saying you better figure this out and such like. The Bible doesn't have to explicitly condemn a particular action or behavior For that to be wrong. It doesn't have to be explicit. It could be implicit. And we're still responsible for it. Let's talk about moderate drinking. Number one. There is the matter of defining drunkenness. Defining drunkenness. Now we go to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. And in this passage the apostle says. Do not be drunk with wine. In which is dissipation. We don't use that word. Dissipation though means uh, rioting or, or behavior that's inappropriate, outlandish kind of behavior. Don't, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is that? But be filled with the Spirit. Don't be filled with alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit, seeking to one another, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The word drunk in this verse is here. Next slide. Look at this. Methusco. What's interesting about it is that it means not merely the being drunk. It's the process by which one becomes that. So he's not just prohibiting 
being drunk. He's prohibiting what you do to bring that about, to intoxicate, to make drunk, to get drunk, to become intoxicated. We're going to talk about more about this word in a few minutes. And if you think that I'm kind of strange to, to uh, say that the definition of drunk is very ambiguous, I mean, you've already seen some of this because I mean, so many things have to do with this. Is it a man or a woman? A woman, one drink, uh, a man, two drinks. It's about your size. It's about how long you've been a drinker. It's about how many drinks you have and, and in what time frame you have them. There's a difficulty with that, but that's not all. In the state of Alabama right now, you're, you're going to see billboard signs. This started about a year ago, and it says this, buzz driving is drunk driving. How do you like that? What does that mean? What they're trying to emphasize is whatever you think is your definition, subjective definition for what drunk is, don't you think? This is interesting too because it's not just about a state's law about blood alcohol content. It's not just about that. What they're saying, and I'm telling you this is what it is, they're saying that you can be dangerous on the road with less alcohol than that. What they're saying is the definition of drunk is really fuzzy. Is buzzed and drunk driving the same thing? Yes, buzzed and drunk driving are the same thing. Anytime that, that alcohol impairs you to any degree, you're a drunk driver. Even an amount of alcohol that doesn't put you over the legal limit can be enough to impact your ability to drive. What? Look, we know that we have a line, a legislated line about drunk, but I'm telling you that you're dangerous when you're buzzed. When are you buzzed? Well, it's when you're mind is to some degree affected by the fact that you've had some to drink. Next slide. Buzz generally refers to being under the influence of alcohol, but not to the extent of being, quote, drunk or intoxicated. Excuse me. that, That makes the argument. Scripture says in Ephesians 5, verse 18, that he prohibits being drunk, but the Greek word means the process by which one becomes drunk. And I would suggest to you that these, these comments, these quotes, bear that out. And here's number two. There's the matter of influence. So 13.9 problem drinkers in America right now. 13.9 male. I don't know the, line, the, the criteria by which they decide what a problem drinker is. But anyway, there's the statistic. 13.9. If you take a, an elementary school and you... You line up 100 students. I guess that's about three classes, depending on the class size. And you line up these kids. Probably 10 of them are going to become what the government would define as problem drinkers. 10 of them. I can imagine that sometimes somebody's going to argue. I thought about it in reference to marijuana and this question of influence. Oh, come on. The teens are going to, those teens are going to try marijuana, whether I'm doing it or not. Some of them, and alcohol, same thing. You know what's going to happen is that some of them are going to smoke pot, and some of them are going to use alcohol. And I suppose statistically that some of them are going to get so involved, and if they ultimately lose, lose their lives, they'll lose their souls. I, I got that. But so how does that connect with me sometimes recreationally doing it? I mean, my wife and I just like to have a marijuana cigarette before we go to bed at night. It gives us some relaxation. That's, why, that's what we do with it. And how does that relate to influence, and I would argue that, you know what? What if one of those kids goes and they see you coming out of that cannabis store? Goes going into the cannabis store, get a little, what are you doing? What, what about your influence on them then? What about they come and knock on your door and they, you, you open the door and there's that smell of marijuana? 
And my point is that you've got a role to play in the destruction of their lives in reference to this subject. The Bible says, don't, don't be a partaker of what other man's sins. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6, Jesus said, you know what? If you, if you live in such a way as to cause one of these little ones to stumble, and this little ones here, he's talking about people who believe in him, so he's talking about young Christians, but the, the principle is applicable to these young people that we're raising up to be in the Lord. And you, you live in such a way as to, as to give them the kind of influence that will draw them away from Christ, that it was better for you that a millstone were hanged about your neck and you were cast into the sea. Now, that is a very nightmarish uh, analogy or illustration of what it, it would be better to do that. And why do you think the Lord would say something? They give you bad dreams at night. Why would he say something like that? The answer is because he wanted to give you bad dreams at night. He wanted you to be so opposed to leading young people or young Christians away from the faith that you would say, look, I, I'm not going to do that. I, I won't do that. I'm telling you that's as applicable to the question we're talking about today, which is moderate drinking. So 10 out of 100 are not just going to experiment with. I hope kids don't experiment. I, I, I encourage in the classes when I have young kids, I very often have them raise their hands and repeat after me, I hereby vow before God that I will never put alcohol to my mouth. I'll never drink it. I never will. Is that a foolish thing to do or a smart thing to do? I know of a, of a first grader and an uncle of his recently was talking to him, and somehow the subject of alcohol came up. And the little boy said that he was, I don't know how he said it, but he was very opposed to booze. Now, in his mind, all alcohol is booze. That's just what, that's the word he uses. And the uncle said, oh, I don't know. You know, uh, I've, I've had booze a few times in my life, but I've never gotten drunk. I want to ask you a question. Did that uncle, you say that uncle did a wise thing just then? Or a foolish thing, which would you say in view of what Jesus said? Now, I want you to remember that with alcohol, there is a point of no return. There is a point of no return. Is it true that everybody who drinks is going to come to that? No. But it is true that everybody who, who recreationally drinks is giving up his or her ability to discourage it in others who will go to that point of no return, Right? In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 35, you have that, well, in chapter 23, you have this long list of what happens when people drink. He says, I don't want you to look at the wine when it's red, when it moves itself in the cup, and that's the fermentation. You just stay away from it because here are the kinds of things that happen when people get drunk. And then he gets to the bottom, and there's these awful things. They've struck me, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I didn't, didn't feel it. And then it says this shocking thing, when will I awake that I may seek another drink? Now, see... What happens is, and I suppose this is applicable to whatever sin you may think about, but we can sin in, 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 so many times in, in a particular way, some pet sin we have, that we give up the ability to choose not to sin. That's something inside of us. We no longer have inside of us the ability to choose not to do it. And that's what it is right there. Now, what about your influence? You say, oh, yeah, but I can. Great, that's fine. It's really not fine, but you reckon that the people, the young people you might influence to drink are going to have that same control? You sure you want to be a part of that? 
You sure you want to imply endorsement this way? You think that's a good thing? Well, they'll learn to drink anyway. Well, they might, but I'm going to tell you what. They're not going to learn by my example. And they shouldn't learn by yours. Again, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 22 says, Don't be a partaker of another man's sins. I can't be a part of that. I can't be a part of that. Here's number three. There's the matter of, of the elders' authority and matters of discernment. I want you to think about the elders of the church, the shepherds of the flock of this church or any of the Lord's congregations. I want you to think about the fact that they do not have legislative authority. They don't have the ability, for example, to say, um, we should change the Lord's Supper and eat different elements for the Lord's Supper. They don't have that, that authority. They don't have the authority to say that baptism is not necessary for salvation. They don't have that authority. So why do they exist? And the answer is, at least one answer, is in matters of spiritual discernment to help us go to heaven. They make application of the scriptures and help us. That's why you can't just have anybody to be an elder. You need somebody who is mature and sound in the faith and, and who has shown himself to be that. First Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. And, and so part of their, a major part of their shepherding is to warn us about things that are going to harm us, but you have, spiritually, but you have Hebrews 13, 17. And, and it says that we should obey them that have the rule over us because they watch for our souls. Those are the elders. Those are the shepherds. And they must give an account. They're going to answer for us, right? And how they shepherd. And we, we're, to, we're to submit ourselves, and we should do this with joy and not with grief for them. I'm, I'm preaching this sermon today because our elders asked me to do it. If the elders look at a behavior such as recreational marijuana use after it's become legalized, or they look at occasional drinking, moderate drinking, social drinking, and determine that it's at odds with a Christian's walk, is it appropriate for them to lead us away from that? The answer is, if they do not, they've abdicated their responsibility. That is their job. That's why they exist. That's why they're here. God put them there for a reason. And that is completely applicable to this subject. It is applicable to the question of, of alcohol consumption. Now, here's the last one. Here's the matter of preparing for the day of the Lord. Now, I told you at the beginning of the sermon we were going to come back to this. Well, we're back to it now. And, and here's what uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, the first 10 verses. Now, this starts about verse 7, what I've written here, but it, it uh, emphasizes the words I want to show you. Now, the two times you have sober here, it's the same Greek word which I will show you. The two times you have the word drunk, it's not the same word. So now, flip the slide. Let's go to the next one. Let me show you the different Greek words. The one that is drunk, which is the second one in the passage, and, and this one is in verse 7, and it says those who get drunk are drunk at night. Here's the first Greek word, and it means what you think it means, all right? It means an intoxicated person. But then this second one, Methusko, is the process by which someone gets drunk. Now, that was true in Ephesians 5.18 that we talked about before, and it's true here. Again, it's used by Paul in Ephesians 5 verse 7. 
It is the process of becoming intoxicated. Now, what would you think then would be Paul's reaction to that? I mean, he's the one who used the words by inspiration. So, now it's very important to look at what he means by sober. Now, this gets very interesting in the context of this discussion because the word sober is nepho, and it means, and I just cop, I just cut and pasted this out of Strong's lexicon, Greek word dictionary, and it means to abstain from wine. That's what it means. How about that? And it's in view of the fact that this is the context, that the judgment day is going to come and you don't know when. And that's deliberate on the Lord's part. He doesn't want to tell you when. And that's, that's in order that you might live prepared. We live our lives as why are you Why are you here this morning? What are you doing here in worship? The answer is, I want to live my life in Christ. I don't know when he's coming, but I'm not going to worry about it. I don't know when I'm going to die, but I'm not going to worry about it. What I'm going to do is live a life as a Christian. I, I, I'm so glad to be a Christian. We, we worship this morning eating the Lord's Supper, and everyone in this room thought about how thankful he or she was to have the blood of Christ wash away our sins. You know why? Because he's coming back. That's why. And it's that context that this, where this is found. And he says, I want you to be sober. What does sober mean? The Greek word means to abstain from wine. There are four stop signs that we've looked at this morning relative to this subject. So it's not so uncommon for people to argue that I understand that the Bible says that to get drunk, to be drunken or to be an alcoholic, to be a drunkard as the scripture, the, the English translations would put it, that, that that'll keep you out of heaven. I got that. But now what about moderate drinking? What about drinking occasionally? I would say there are four stop signs to that. Four stop signs. The definition of drunkenness. That even, even mortals struggle with. Even the law trying to protect people on the highways struggle with because they know that you don't have to be staggering drunk to be a real threat on that highway. Two, my influence on others and particularly, I'm thinking about young people who are impressionable and who you may influence to go in a terrible direction on this subject. The eldership and where they are about this as spiritual leaders, is this a behavior that is damaging and, and an impediment to your Christian walk? You say, yeah, but I don't get drunk. I just drink sometimes. The answer is that in their judgment, unanimously, the answer is yes. It is an impediment, and that's why they asked me to preach this sermon. And then the fourth one is from 1 Thessalonians 5. We're preparing for the Lord, and the Apostle Paul talked about this subject and giving people instruction for preparing. Now, that was by the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad that you're here today. I want you to remember that that the Bible is, uh, is a precious and miraculous gift from God. What if you didn't have it? What if you had to depend on nature to decide the character and the will of God? What if you had to do that? I, I think that it would be very confusing. If I looked at a, at a hurricane or a tornado, I would think he was an angry, vengeful God. If I looked at a beautiful spring day like is out there right now, I would have a completely different impression of God. What I need is more. I, I need more than the nature to show me his will. And I've got that in the scriptures. And I'm, I'm just so thankful for the word of God. I plan to study it the rest of my life. I wonder if there's someone here this morning who says, I need to become a Christian 
That life is different. I know that it's not just something that I do once in a while. My Christianity would have to be a lifestyle. I got that. I'm ready for that lifestyle. I want to walk in Christ. I want to follow him. I want to be his disciple. That would be such a great time to obey the gospel and you could repent of your sins and confess Jesus and you could be baptized just like the Bible says and for the reason it says. We'll be so happy to assist you. And if, you, if you're a Christian but you need the prayers of the church, maybe some public things that you need to correct publicly, maybe, maybe it's something private. You don't need to come before the church. But if we can pray for you and be of help to you, that would be such a great time. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.